0: Turning your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Let me just flip mine open to there. Galatians 4, famous book, love Galatians. Uh, one of the first things I ever taught when I became a pastor. One, first thing I just about ever taught was uh, I taught the book of Galatians because the book of Galatians gives us the gospel clearly and also gives us Christian life clearly. And so if if you said, we're starting a brand new church, and what would, would we teach to people who maybe are just become believers or that never really been taught much? I'd go Galatians, very, the very first book, because there's so much there, especially about what is the gospel. Do you remember at the very beginning of Galatians, he talks about, you know, that whole idea of, um, you know, it's a, a different gospel. Somebody's giving you a different gospel, that kind of thing. Okay, Galatians. Um, did I say what? Yeah, four four. Four four. Okay. So we're gonna we're looking at the people, events and everything that ties into our Savior Jesus. Our goal is to understand these things and see how they connect. We divided the study into four big sections, and we are now about to get to the third big section. The the end of the Old Testament talked about everything going into captivity and all the things that happened and what happened in captivity. Then between the Testaments that they came back and the rise of those different nations and all of those things. And now we're actually beginning to the New Testament uh, and the start part of it. And then, of course, the end times. There's a lot of information. And one of Things that when you take this class and we talk about it, we say there's—I oh, mean, theres thousands of stuff in here. I mean, there's all these dates and people and history and the flows. There's no way you can remember all this, but at least put it all down and you can have it for reference. And I think it'll be a great resource for you. We're moving to our third section, the beginning of the New Testament, and so we're going to move to what the world was like at the the birth of our Savior. He's not—he's not here yet. You know, we're still going, and we're going to see it. Rome is in power. The Jews were allowed to uh, carry out their worship and everything. And when you think about this, when you see movies dealing with Jesus or, the, you know, that part, this is what we're talking about. Because everybody, you see Roman soldiers, and you see these priests, and you see all these Levites and all these things, and, and you talk about Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and you say, who, who are all these people? Well, in this lesson, we're going to see, and I call it that things are setting up for the coming of the Messiah. And that's why when you look in Galatians four four, it says, in, When the fullness of time came, it really says, In the exact right time, in the fullness of time, God brought forth His Son, that's, of course, Jesus, born of a woman. That means He's going to become a human being. He's the God-man born under the law. You realize that Jesus Christ lived His entire life Under the Mosaic Law. That's why it calls under the law, the law of Moses. And that's why when when, when you hear what Jesus taught, he would say, you have heard it said. That was not necessarily Mosaic Law. That was what some people said. He said, but I say to you. And he changed some things, taught some things differently. Well, think about this. The Jews are looking for a Savior. But not a Savior like we might think they'd be looking for. They were looking for somebody to displace the Romans, to get them out of the way, uh, and all of those kind of things. And so we're going to see what was, what was it like when Jesus came? So in the Gospel of John, John makes a statement, and he makes it over and over about Jesus. He keeps saying this, his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. And that's talking about his life. And when we think about Jesus and coming and his death and resurrection, everything was exactly at the right time. And that's why that Galatians four four is so good. In the fullness of time, in exactly the right time, God so loved the world, He gave His Son at exactly the right time. Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and became a person. If you want to just write out beside Galatians there, write Philippians chapter 2. 5-11, 5-11, through 11, chapter 2, 5-11, through 11, because that basically says, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. And then it tells you what Jesus did, how he left the glories of heaven, how he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, and he died. And then God highly exalted him. So there's, this is what it's all about. Galatians, the fullness of time, exactly the right time God would send his son. Well, the world, the world is ready. Let's think about the seven Gentile world empires and how things are flowing together. Well first of all if you go back to Egypt what was the how, how does Egypt relate to the Jews They were in slavery how about, how did the Assyrians relate to the Jews They kept take, took off the northern empire how did the Babylonians relate to the Jews Took off the southern empire how about the Medes and the Persians how did they relate to the Jews they allowed him, Cyrus came up and allowed him to go back. What about the Greeks and the Macedonians? The Greeks were going to capture him until that priest showed Alexander the Great that he was in the Bible. And, of course, the Macedonians and Philip of Macedonia and, and the, the division and the Seleucid and the Ptolemy and all of that, that's happened now. We've now come to the Roman Empire. And we're about to, to show the rise of the Roman Empire. We already saw that the, the Mas- Greeks. Uh, had trouble you know with Antiochus, Epiphanes the Four, and here comes the Romans, and so Rome has risen and so, as we start tonight, basically we 're going to see the rise of the Roman empire there's one more empire to go, and it 's the revised Roman Empire, and it hadn't happened yet, and it will happen during what is known as the tribulation that God is going to allow an empire to come together, a ten-king federation. There will be three top kings of that. There'll be one king. That one king will make a peace pact with the nation of Israel. At the time of that peace pact, there'll be a seven-year peace pact that begins the tribulation time period, and it goes, that's the final seven years, of the 490 years for the Jews. That's in the future. One good thing about it, people say, oh, I, oh, I don't want to go through that. No, we won't. If, we, if you know Jesus Christ the Savior, Jesus is going to come back, and He's going to get the church and take us out. So, we're going to see a lot of great things. We've come to the time of the Romans. Now, <clears throat> we remember... After Alexander died, four generals, and then they were back and forth and back and forth. And now finally, the Romans are coming to power. In 67 B.C., and you can just write down whatever you want. You got to put everything. This Roman general named Pompey. Begin to conquer the eastern part of the Mediterranean region. They, Rome becomes a power. They become a power, and they begin to conquer everything. And then, in around 65 to 63 BC, they came in and captured the the Syria, which is northern part of Israel. And they haven't got Israel yet. They haven't got Jerusalem. They haven't got that. But they're conquering everything. Now, the Jews just remember this: the Jews have never, never been free since the captivity. When the captivity happened, they were slaves to the Babylonians and the, uh, the you know, and then when they came back, they were under the Medo Persian and the Greco Macedonians. So it's not like they're free people. And we're going to see that even when, at the time of the Romans, it looks like they do a lot of the things they want to do. Rome is still the power of the world, and everything comes under the Roman Empire. And so we see that in 65 to 63 BC, they captured Syria. And then here's what happened. And a man by the name of Julius Caesar. Came to power. He was not the emperor. You know, I always, I always. When I I just didn't study history that much growing up, I did. You know, I I look back and wish I'd have been a Christian when I was growing up, and I wish I'd had interest in world history and all these kind of things because I never knew. I did. You know, now you learn it. But I always thought Julius Caesar was a Roman emperor. He wasn't an emperor. He he was a, a ruler with power, but he wasn't an emperor. He became a dictator in 46 B.C. But uh, yeah, no, uh, 63 B.C., Pompey conquered it. But in 44 B.C., Julius Caesar, who was the power, was assassinated. And uh, Ides of March. Wh- what happened? Anybody know? Who killed him? Brutus. 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 And then what did he say? Et tu Brutus? You too, Brutus? Yeah, And so uh, Julius Caesar was killed. And then there, that year, or not too long after that, they, they came around. And in the year, whoops, let me get this. In the year 31, if you want to write this down. In the year 31 B.C., Caesar Augustus became the emperor of Rome. Now that name should ring a bell to you. And we'll, you know we'll talk about why in just a second. But Caesar Augustus in 31 B.C., became the emperor of Rome. And um, he was very powerful. Let me let me just throw up here for you some famous... And you don't even have to write this down, but there's some famous emperors. There was a guy named Tiberius. Uh, Tiberius and Caligula. Caligula was so evil. Have you, have you, who's, who's ever read anything on Caligula? He was so evil that he said he was God. He said, I'm God, but because... I want people to see me. I've decided I will stay in a human body so people can see who I am. Maybe he was an evil man, he killed a lot of people and things like that. Claudia, same thing. Then Nero. We all talk about what was the famous saying? Nero what? Nero fiddled while Rome burned because Rome caught on fire and it was probably his fault, but they blamed it on the Jews and they persecuted the Jews. And I mean, I don't have it on this thing, but if you go back to history of the Jews, when you when you see okay, G, let's just say Jesus died in around thirty to thirty one. And then 35 to 40, there began to be a lot of issues. And then 40 to 60 issues. And then around 62, great persecution. 66, great persecution. 70, great persecution. 72, great persecution. I mean, 70 destroyed Jerusalem and 72 was Masada. And 62 to 66, they killed Paul and Peter. I mean, they're just that was the, there was persecution everywhere against the Christians. Uh, th- so it, it, it was bad. And we, we say, man, it's it's terrible here in the United States. Yeah, oh, it's real terrible. I mean, it's terrible compared to what we're used to, but it's not anything what they what went to. Now, we said that it was famous to think about Caesar Augustus. Jesus was born in the reign of Caesar Augustus. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Now, you know, I never went to church. I went to church once when I was six and once when I was 12, so I didn't know anything about the Bible. But if you had said Christmas story, I would have said, yeah, there was this, uh, There was uh, the birth of Jesus, and there were these shepherds out in the field watching over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared before him, and they were sore afraid. Uh, that's King James English. Listen, the only Bible I ever heard was from my teacher at school at our Christmas programs. You realize we don't do that anymore. But I learned about Jesus and the birth of the baby through my, through my teacher in the second grade and the third grade and the fourth grade and our Christmas programs and everything else because we had Christmas programs. And, of course, you know, only a couple of people. One got to be Joseph, one got to be Mary, one got to, well, they had a little baby. Everybody else was shepherds, you know, we were all shepherds standing around. And, and so we had angels, and, and that was the, you know, that was the girls. Even though, it was, ain't the girls were angels, but no angel in the Bible is like a girl. I mean, think about that. Uh, in fact, if you tell a girl you look like an angel, well, some of the descriptions would not be a great compliment to a woman. But anyway, so Jesus was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus. And if you remember, there was a census, and everybody had to go to their hometowns. And Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth. But since Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem. Mary was also a descendant of King David. So they all went back together, and he was born, of course, in Bethlehem, exactly where he was supposed to be born. So Jesus was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Now, we have been talking about this for a while. Why, why did Jesus come at the time of the Romans? And what we've really found is that there were several things, that there were four key things about Rome at the time of the birth of Jesus. So why was it so good? Well, number one is they had roads. They came in and they built roads. Do you realize that some of the roads that the Roman Empire built then are still used and still in existence? They were power, they were so thick and they were solid as rock. And the old saying that all roads lead to Rome is because they did. Because the Roman Empire went out and stretched out and they put roads out and people could travel. People could travel all over the Roman Empire. And so when God said, let's spread the message, there's the roads to spread it by. The second thing is there's peace. It's called Pax Romanus, or Pax of the Romans. It means peace of the Romans. Rome had conquered the known world, and there was peace. Now, when we say peace, that didn't mean there were uprisings. They, They stopped people. But if you said, are there wars going on all over the world? The answer was no, because the Romans had conquered everybody. They were the world power. It's just hard to think about the Roman Empire basically coming from that city. And, and conquering the, whole, and the known world at that time. And so uh, that there was the peace, and they were able to travel around, and they were able to go places and do things uh, without the fear of, of war, so to speak. The third thing is law, Roman law. Now, when we say law, we're not talking about the, new, uh, the uh, Mosaic law. We're talking about Roman law. And Roman law was specific and just, especially for a Roman citizen. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, and let me tell you, I do not know. I've tried to find, but I haven't been able to find. How did you identify yourself as a Roman citizen? Uh, Did you have some kind of piece of something? Did you have some kind of paper? Did you have something that proved you were a Roman citizen? Because if you remember... There were several times Paul was being beaten, and he said, you're going to beat a Roman citizen? They went, oh, we didn't know you were a Roman citizen. Well, how, how did they know he was a Roman citizen? What if a person just said, oh, I'm a Roman citizen? You no, know I think there was more to it. I don't know how. But Roman citizens, let me tell you this. They, there was a, a just law system. Now, you got to remember that over half the world were slaves, and they had no rights whatsoever. And then... Another portion of the world were not slaves, but they weren't Roman citizens. And then a smaller portion of the world were Roman citizens, and there was a law, and there was a system. And Paul was one of that. So think about this. When Paul appealed to Caesar, they they couldn't do anything else to him. They had to take him to Rome to appeal to the Caesar, because as a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to the emperor. That'd be like us saying, okay, I appeal to the president Or I don't know if I'd appeal to any of that people. But anyway, the bottom line is, that's what it was like. Now, think about this. Jesus was not a Roman citizen. He had no rights. They crucified non-Roman citizens. They did not crucify Roman citizens. So, how did Peter die? Does anybody know? He was crucified. The rumour was he was crucified upside down. How did Paul die? They had to cut his head off. See, they couldn't crucify Paul. Why? He's a Roman citizen. So, the laws of Rome were... Really, really, really just if you're a Roman citizen, but not necessarily for anybody else. The fourth thing was the language, and the key was the Greek language, the Greek language. And it was spoken everywhere, and it's very exact. We got, like, right now six people are taking Greek. We're having a lot of fun taking it. and, And when you look at the language, it is so specific. I mean, there are four or five different kind of ifs, and there's, you know, we got... Present tense, uh, past tense, and future tense. Well, in Greek, there's four different past tenses. I mean, so, you you know, you go, what? Yeah, you know, so uh, this, this language was spoken everywhere. And this is what the New Testament was written in and And it is so exact, so when you look at at the Bible, I mean the Bible is really, really good, especially with the language. so at that time, there was Latin and Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, but Greek was the official language oh, and and not Latin you'd think Latin would, but it was Greek, and so that's those four big things so, so think about them there was there was the roads, there was the peace, there was the law, and there was the language and so you could go and you could take a message. And everybody would know when you spoke in Greek. Everybody would know exactly what you're saying. And you could travel anywhere. And you were protected and there was peace. So this is, a you know, this is the time that a small group of people spread the message of Jesus Christ throughout the known world. Just like that. And it wasn't easy necessarily. But, you know, Paul could get on a boat. He could get on a ship and go all over the world. And nobody stopped him. Nobody said, you can't go there. You know, so... It's great stuff. Now, with that in mind, we're going to meet a man, and his name is Herod Antipater. Okay, and so this is a guy named Herod, and he has a son named Herod, who is called Herod the Great. This man right here, the first Herod, became—he was a ruler, and he was appointed. He was appointed. Wait, let me go back. He was appointed the governor of Judea, which if let me just do this once again. And and I've got some maps later on, but let me just show this up for you. I mean, this is basically Israel. This is Jerusalem. This is Judea, the southern part. This was Samaria, the middle part. And this was Galilee, the northern part. This guy was appointed the ruler of this part of the world. And he became powerful. And then when he basically died, his son, Herod the Great. And Herod the Great... You know, you've got Alexander the Great. Everybody wanted to be called great. and But Herod the Great was really an incredible person. And um, in 40 B.C., Antipater's son, Herod the Great, was appointed to be the ruler of Galilee. Now, when he started, he took this part. But before it was over, he had every bit of this. And he controlled this part. And he became famous. And he became known as a builder. And he, he was... A, a unique person he was known Herod the great now when you hear Herod the great when i say he's called he was a great but what do you think of when you hear of Herod the great huh no he didn't no uh-uh. what no well yeah he did do the temple what what's the what's the is there any bad thing you ever think about Herod the great he killed all the babies when jesus was born this is the man that brought in the, the wise men who came and said, tell us where the Messiah is going to be born. And they said, Bethlehem of Judea, Micah three. And he said, okay, go worship him and find him. And, and then they left. And so he got really mad. And he went in that area and he killed every boy baby two years old and under, according to the time of the star. And so when most people, when you hear of Herod the Great, you hear, you think of the bad man who killed all the boy babies at the birth of Jesus Christ. He was a bad man. He killed his family. He had a number of sons. And we're going to talk about some of them later on. He had a bunch of sons. He became paranoid. He built the temple. The temple, as you remember, what all right, we, we said that uh, when the Jews came back, what was what did we call that temple? Yeah, Zerubbels, Zerubb- 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 okay? And so they built that temple and they had it all set up. Herod came in there. And in order... Now listen, if you're a ruler... You wanted to stay on the good side of the Jewish people. This is Jerusalem. This is the key city. If if you were a Roman ruler, you wanted to stay on the good side. You know why? Because if there were rebellions, they would remove you from office. They'd go back to Rome. The Caesar would say, you're not able to handle these people, and they would take your job away. And so Herod the Great said, I want to, I want to keep doing this. I got it made. So he came to the Jews... And he started building, rebuilding the temple. The, the temple was small, if you remember, and he started rebuilding the temple. And uh, he, 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 he let's, I'll put this, under the Jews, under the dominion of Rome and the Jews, it was great They had, but they had some freedom. He started rebuilding the temple, and by the time that Jesus came, that temple was gigantic. It was like one of the seven wonders of the world. He put all kind of money in there. He also went to right here at a place called Masada, and he built a fortress that went almost straight up. And there was only one way to get up it. And so once you got up there, nobody could capture it. And it was what, one of his summer homes. He also had a place over Caesarea by the sea. He had another place over here. He had, he had a place up it. So I mean, he was wealthy. He was rich. He was powerful. He ruled everything. And as a whole, Jewish people said, he's okay because he built our temple. He thought he was, he said he was actually a descendant of the Iudeans, which were people who lived over here. But he said that he was part Jewish. He said he was. Jewish people never accepted him as Jewish, but he said to people he was Jewish. Uh, to help rule over them to be the king of the Jews. See, he was the king of the Jews. And when the message came that there was one born king of the Jews, he didn't like that at all. And so he started, you know, he, he, that's how he was. So I, I wanted you to, to see that under Herod, under these people, and by the way, let me just say one thing about Herod, how evil he was. He died not too long after Jesus was born. And then his, his, his area was divided up too, and I'll show you that more later. But... He got paranoid, and most think he got syphilis, and he went kind of crazy. And so as any of his sons got to a certain age, he killed them so that they wouldn't take over for him. And so since he pretended to be Jewish, he wouldn't eat what? Pork. And so the legend was it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son, because he won't eat his pig, but he'll kill his son. And so that was the legends of this Herod. He was pretty, pretty bad person. So here, here we, as we think about the Jewish people, the Rome was dominant, but they had freedom. They had freedom to make choices, to do things. And Herod began destruction of the temple. By the way, he began destruction of the temple in 20 B.C., and it was completed. It took 46 years to build it. That's why when Jesus said something like, Destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. And then when it took 46 years to build this thing, you think you're going to rebuild it in three days? And then it says, but he was speaking of his body. He's going to die and rise again. Now, let's get... let's. We've seen Rome. We've seen them come into power. And so at the birth of Jesus, we had not got that yet. At the birth of Jesus, here's the man. And Caesar Augustus and Herod the Great. And that's the rulers of the world, and this part of the world. And the Jewish people had a lot of freedom because they said, you know, Rome was smart. Uh, Like Alexander the Great was smart. Alexander the Great would conquer people and he would let them do their own thing. But they had to come under him. You know, some people like the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they'd conquer people and then they'd try to change them all. But Alexander the Great conquered people and said, you can be yourself, but you under me. Romans did the same thing. When the Romans came in, they allowed people to keep their religion. Here's why, because Rome said there's like 8 million gods. And so it doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe all the gods you want to, just, you know, follow us, follow us. So let, let's talk about the Jewish people. Now, when you think about the Jews, think about the time of Christ. First of all, his birth and then his life. And when you think about the Jews, they were ruled by a group called the Sanhedrin, okay? And I've got it on your paper, ruled by the Sanhedrin. Let me go erase this stuff right here for a minute. And let me tell you about the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling body of Israel. It was made up of just men, of course. Women didn't have really hardly any issues or to get to do anything. And so it was made up of 70 men. And one was the high priest. And then there were 69 others. And some of these were Pharisees. Some of these were Sadducees. Many of them were the priests. And they were the, they were the ruling body of Israel. And when there was an issue dealing with the people, these are the people that made the decisions. And the Romans allowed them to do that. If you remember when they brought Jesus that one time and they wanted to crucify him, and they said, deal with him yourself. Deal with him yourself. And they said, "But we don't have the right to kill because under the Roman Empire... The Roman Empire let the Jews do a lot of things, but they would not allow capital punishment. If there was going to be capital punishment, Rome killed people. So they wanted Jesus dead, and you know, uh, Pilate and them said, no, but you, you just go deal with him yourself. And they said, but we don't have the right to kill him. And so they pulled him back there. So these 70 men were the most powerful men. Let me tell you about them. They were, uh, if you had 70 men, and they usually met in a circle... When one died, the other 69 picked the replacement to come in there. So it wasn't, people didn't vote on this. The regular people had no input on this. There were 70 people ruled by the high priest and 69 other people. When they voted, when you did wrong, when they brought you before the Sanhedrin, they would bring you in, put you in the middle of the circle. Here you are. And they made you dress in your worst clothes, and then they would try you. And when it came time to vote, they always voted from the youngest to the oldest. The reason they did that is they thought if they voted from the oldest, then everybody would vote like the oldest people, the wiser ones. So they always voted from the youngest to the oldest. And that's what they did. They brought Jesus before the Sanhedrin. In fact, Three different times he was brought before the Sanhedrin. Paul had issues. And by the way, when they brought Paul before this group, he realized some of them were Pharisees and some of them were what? Sadducees. And so Paul went, well, I'm a Pharisee like you guys. And they went, yeah, he's on our side. And they got a big argument over each other. And Paul was just laughing at it, you know. So we, we see these people. So they were ruled by the Sanhedrin. So I want you to think about that. In that group were priests, Sadducees, and Pharisees. We're going to talk about these groups because... Probably all of your life, you've heard of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all these things, and you say, exactly who were these people? Because at the time of Christ, if I said Pharisee, you'd go, oh, they, they were bad. If I said Sadducee, you'd say, I don't, I don't know that much about them. I mean, I just hear, hear, heard about them. And then you'd say, how about those lawyers or scribes or something, what were all these people? So let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about them. Let's talk about the Pharisees. The Pharisees mean the separated ones. Uh, when, when they came out of the captivity and they were allowed to go back, there was a group of people that went back to the land after the captivity under Cyrus. The Medo-Persians let them go back. There were a group of people, men, who said, we will live holy lives and we will live by the Bible. Does that sound good? Yeah, and we're going to separate ourselves out from everybody else. And the word Pharisee means to separate. And what they were saying is, we're going to live by the Bible. Well, it sounds really good until you find out what they did. They they started, um, they resisted anything that was non-Jewish. And they said, here's the Bible, but here's also our rules that exp- that." explain the Bible. <laughs> and before you know it, you know, there were 513 laws under the Mosaic Law. Well, they added, they just added rule after rule after rule after rule. And so the Pharisees became the legalists. I mean, they, they had everything you had. You couldn't walk a certain way. If you remember, you couldn't go very far. You couldn't knock dirt off. You couldn't look in the mirror if you're a woman on the Sabbath day. You couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day. And, and Jesus broke it all the time on purpose. You ever wondered why it says on the Sabbath, Jesus healed people? He did it on purpose on the Sabbath. Um, You know, because he's saying, listen, you don't understand what the Sabbath was for. And so these people were the legalistic ones. And, And I'm going to show you more in just a minute. So when you see Pharisee, you think bad. They started good, but they ended up bad. Because if you said, how does a person have life? They would say, keep the law. Who can keep the law? Nobody can, but they they, they thought they could. Okay? With that in mind, then there is a group called the Sadducees. They were the aristocratic party. They were the wealthy ones and many of the priests. Now, when I show you what they believed in a minute, you're going to be shocked. These people were priests. In fact, many of the priests were Sadducees. And they they were in opposition to the Pharisees. They didn't get along with each other. They fussed all the time. And the only time they came together was when they tried to get Jesus. That's the only time they ever came together. They actually hated each other. They were members. They were Pharisees and Sadducees on this group of people. And they didn't even like each other. But when it came to Jesus, they mounted Together, they would, have, they would send some Pharisees who'd raise some questions, and then they'd send some Sadducees who'd raise some questions. So let's talk about Sadducees were the aristocratic party. They were wealthy, many of the priests. They looked only to the first five books of the Bible. That's all they held to, okay, called the Torah. Let me show you, I've got for you a contrast between Sadducees and Pharisees. You're going to be surprised now. I want you to think about it. When you think of priest, do you think of... Godly people, and 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 believing the right thing, and all, I mean that's what you think. Okay, let's look at this. Here's the contrast: the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were more academic; they they went to the Bible all the time. The Sadducees were there was a priesthood, and it was mostly political. Now watch this: the Pharisees believed in resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. They didn't believe there was an afterlife. Listen. The Pharisees believed there were angels. The Sadducees did not believe there were angels. Okay, you're saying, this, this is the priest? The priest didn't believe in resurrection or angels? Look at this. The Pharisees believed in tradition, the law. They believed the Bible, but they had all their rules. The Sadducees only had the Torah, only the first five books. That means they would never recognize Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. They wouldn't recognize any of those books. Okay, now watch this. The Pharisees believed in salvation by good works. The Sadducees didn't even believe in an afterlife. This life only is what counted. And the Pharisees dealt with the synagogue because that's where they did their teaching. But the Sadducees dealt with the temple because they were the priest. So the Sadducees from the tribe of Levi? Well, some of them them are... Because see, not every Sadducee was a priest. And not every Sadducee was the father Levi, but ma- many of the Sadducees looked at it this way, and, and many of them were from priesthood, and many of them saw it as political. So just like Pharisees, they could be all, all tribes. Sadducees could be all tribes, but many of the priests were Sadducees. Did that, all that, did, did that change? This priesthood, or the ones that were priests and now not believing a lot of stuff, is that what happened when they started assigning Right, the right. Years right. When they after did, after the uh, Maccabees and when the Romans came in, it became a political office, and so they just assigned people. And so some of these people, uh, most of the people that were assigned as priests were, had to be from the tribe of Levi. They would have never been accepted, but then weren't necessarily descendants of Aaron. And the high priesthood was a political office in, instead of being a religious office. But can you imagine... Being a priest who didn't believe in resurrection angels or life after death or or the Bible as a whole, so I always like to say that this was sort of the real legalistic people, and this is sort of the real liberal type people they the old joke would, people would say is uh these people were sad, you see because they didn't believe in any of this yeah yeah so so now you see if you remember. The Pharisees would come up and say, who's my neighbor? And what about this? And what's the best commandment? The Sadducees would come up and say, well, this man got married, and he had seven brothers, and they married. And so when they died, they all died, who is going to be his wife in the resurrection? And they were making fun because they didn't believe in resurrection. And Jesus said, you don't know the Bible or the power of God. And so that's the kind of questions they would ask him. And this is the kind of questions they, these people would ask him. And so next time when you study the Bible and you see it said, and the Sadducees came to him, look at the questions they ask. And when it says the Pharisees came to him, you're going to see that they ask all kind of legalistic law questions. Okay? With that in mind, there's, a thir- there's another group, a third group, they're called the scribes. Now, what did the scribes do? What does the word scribe mean? What does that mean to you? They're going to write, they're going to write, and they were the ones that copied the Scripture, and they, they became the scholars. And so if you had a Bible question, you wouldn't probably go to a Pharisee because they're too legalistic. And you sure wouldn't go to the Sadducee because we don't even know if they believed too much of the Bible. So if you really had a Bible question, you'd go to the scribes. And the scribes originally copied the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he asked, this is Herod the Great, he asked where the Messiah was to be born. Who did they bring in to ask the question to? They brought in... Chief Priest, because naturally you got to ask the priest, and then the scribes, because the scribes were the people they knew the Bible, and people would come to them for Bible questions so uh, the, the problem is that once again they Jesus really got on them because they put burdens on people, and they said you had to do this, and you had to do this, and you had to do this and if you remember Jesus said that that you you tell people to do things and you don't do it yourself. He said, you make them sons of hell. That's what he calls. He was really, he got on these people. And, and one of them one time said, you know, when you say that, it hurts our feelings. And he went, yeah, I know, I know it does. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he was pretty strong with them. Um, they knew the scripture, Matthew seventeen ten. The disciples asked Jesus, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Where did they get that from? They got that from the scribes because scribes studied the Bible and they looked at Malachi. Have you ever looked at Malachi? Elijah's coming. And according to Malachi, Elijah's supposed to come before the Messiah. And so Jesus is there and and his apostles, his disciples say, "Uh, how come they say Elijah's got to come first because if you are the right one, we didn't see him, Right? So I mean, there's there's some really great things. Here's an Ezra. Remember Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah, Esther, Ezra, Ezra was a scribe. Ezra 7:10. Ezra had set his heart to study. Watch, study the law of the Lord, and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra believed the Bible and held to the Bible. Now the scribes they knew the Bible. Sometimes they would be good, and sometimes they wouldn't be good. But the scribes were sort of the scholars of the day. Now we're not through there because there's all kind of groups. And so far, you've already said you've got Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes. There's another group, and they were called the Zealots. And Zealots were a religious, political movement. They were called Zealots and they hated the Romans. Why did they hate the Romans? Okay, that's one, one aspect. The Romans, Romans controlled the world. But, you know, the Romans, if you're a Roman citizen, it sort of was okay. But if you weren't a Roman citizen, it wasn't that okay. And half the world was slaves. And, and so, it, it, you know, so they hated the Romans. And the Zealots uh, were a political movement. Uh, they led a rebellion against Rome. They didn't want to pay taxes. Um, they would attack um, tax collectors. Because who did tax collectors work for? Roman government. Like Matthew, Levi? Okay, let me, let me show you something. I'm going to erase this part right here. Jesus was walking along, and he saw a guy sitting at a tax booth. What was his name? Yeah, Huh? No, Levi Matthew. Okay. When he saw Zacchaeus, he wasn't sitting at a tax booth. Where was he? He's up in a tree. Hey, you can come on down. I'm coming to your house today. And he went to my house. Okay. Hey, I'll pay back four times and everything. If I've ever stolen any money, I'll give half back. Jesus said, Today... Salvation has come to this household. So, there was another guy. What was his name? Levi Matthew, right? Did he write a book? I think he wrote a book. Matthew? Okay. Now, he worked for who? He worked for who? Rome. He worked for the Romans. Now, Jesus got him and said, come on, and he left. And and since he was a tax collector, he was considered a sinner. And then there were other sinners, and if you remember, after he went with Jesus, he had a big party at his house and invited all the other tax collectors and sinners to meet with Jesus, uh, which is what we ought to be doing is bringing in everybody to tell them about Jesus. But the zealots, the, they, they were a political group that hated the Romans. Now, it, do you remember the disciples that Jesus picked? Simon the zealot. Simon. He was a zealot. He was, it didn't mean he just really on fire for Jesus. He was a zealot. He hated the Romans. And so he was one of the 12. And he was one of the 12. Do you think when he first gathered together, what Simon thought and what Matthew thought? Jesus brought together a man who hated the Romans with a man who worked for the Romans. Brought them all together. So the zealots, they had these little, they had these um, daggers called sacri, and they were about this long, and they would tape them inside right there, like they'd wear their clothes, and they would tape this dagger inside there, and they would walk into the crowd where Roman soldiers were, Romans were, or people who worked for the Romans, and they would take those swords out, and they would stab a person, and just stab them and walk away. And, and those people would die, and people couldn't catch them. And that's what they were known as as murderers, because they would kill anybody they thought had something to do with Rome. And so Jesus took Matthew, Levi, who worked for the Romans, and Simon the Zealot and brought them together to be disciples. It's powerful. Okay. Now, there's another group. Okay. and uh, By the way, th- these, these are the people who led, led the rebellion against Rome. It didn't ever work very well. Uh, it didn't ever work very well. There's a group called the Essenes. Okay. Let me draw this up again to show you who these people are. Here's Israel again. Here's Jerusalem. Here's the Dead Sea. Here's a place called En Gedi. If you remember on Sunday mornings, that's where David hid out for a while, in En Gedi. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. There were a group of people that... And and you you can understand why they thought this. In Jerusalem... There was the temple and the high priest. And was the high priest chosen the right way? No. In fact, it was a political office. And you remember I said at the time of Jesus, at the birth of Jesus, there were two high priests at the same time. And so uh, so here, there was a group called the Essenes, and they got off by themselves. And they said, we only hold to the Bible and only the Bible has its interpreted, and they had their own writings, and they became a group off by themselves, and they wouldn't have anything to do. They said, we're Jews, but this priesthood is illegal, and so we have nothing to do with them. And so they wouldn't acknowledge the high priest and the, and the Jewish people. They wouldn't do it. So they got off by themselves, and they had their own little group, and they were really weird, okay? They were weird people because they did not hold to sexual reproduction. They said, we don't reproduce. So they didn't have sex. And so the only way you could get somebody to get into the group is you had to join them. You didn't have babies and grow up in the group. And, and many people saw them as weird. They wore weird clothing. Now, who does that sound like that wore weird clothing? It is. And people said that John the Baptist was an Essene. Now, there's no Bible record of that at all. It doesn't say anything about where John lived or what he did. But some people think that John was connected with the Essenes. I don't think he was, but some people do. Some people also think that you got Jesus' birth, right? And then what's the next thing you got about Jesus? Huh? What? Twelve years old. What do you have after that? Thirty years old. Where was he from twelve to Thirty. Some people say he was with the Essenes, but I I don't believe that either. I don't see that. Now, let me just tell you, the Essenes had all kind of copies of the Scripture, and most believe that the Dead Sea Scrolls found in Gedi were some of the scrolls and things that had been preserved by the Essenes. And as I told you, I think a couple weeks ago, that in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, every book of the Old Testament was there, and exactly accurate Except the book of Esther, it's the only book that wasn't there, and and some people say that maybe it just wasn't there, and other people say that because God's not mentioned in the book of Esther at all, that they wouldn't have the book. So the Essenes, just think about them. They're kind of they're kind of a little bit weird. They lived off by themselves. They were like a commune. They were they were uh, like a religious organization that was different than everybody else, huh? Huh? They were sort of like monks, except that they had women. They had women and men, but they didn't, they didn't reproduce. They didn't do that. So men, yeah, but, but no, no, no sexual relations, and you just had to join, had to get people in there. Mostly men, of course. I mean, they're living out in the middle of nowhere. This is in this is Getty. This is rocks, mountain stuff. I mean, it's not going to be the, you know, maybe Abigail might live out there, but not many other people. Okay, now we got another group the Herodians. Now I mentioned a while ago who they were and they started with the, the real way to look at the Herodians just go back to Herod the Great. And he ruled powerfully. When he died he had sons that took over and they took different parts of, of what he, he had the whole thing and each one of them got a part. And they lived on some of them, some of them even had kids that went on, and so if you were connected with the Herods, And if you wanted the Herod family to stay in power, you were called the Herodians. And they followed the family of Herod and their sons. They supported them. And so they were kind of unique people, too. I mean, they were just like a political group, except they were for the Herod family. And they, were, they actually called themselves Herodians. It would be almost like today, somebody being in a political office and other people saying, we're supporters of them, you know, and, and, and even use the name somehow. Uh, yeah, so who, who knows? Anyway, that's the Herodians. Now, what I'll do later on is a little further down. I will get a chart that shows you Herod the Great and his sons, what part they ruled, and his grandsons, because Herod the Great died right after Jesus was born, but his sons all had issues with Jesus, and then the grandsons all had issues with Paul and Peter. And so the Herod family stayed in power for a long time. Okay. Next is rabbi. What is a rabbi? It was an honorary. It's supposed to be honorary name. As It shouldn't say time. An honorary name for a master of the law. It became known as a teacher. Rabbi really means my master. That's what the word means. But it became synonymous with a special teacher. It was an honorary title. You know, you could put honorary title, honorary name for a master of the law. And if you were a rabbi... Now, sometimes a person would go and people would come and sit at their feet or he would sit and they would stand and he would teach. And they sometimes later on became known as rabbis because they had their their disciples and their students. At the time of Jesus, I mean, as Jesus went on, he, he became known as a rabbi, the rabbi from Galilee, because he had people following him. At the time of Jesus, there were two famous rabbis, two famous rabbis. One was named Hillel, and the other one was named Shammai. Okay, I want to tell you about them. If you had a major issue, you could go and talk, and what does Shammai say? What does Hillel say? Well, let me tell you this. Let's let's talk about an issue, just to show you the difference in these two men. Uh, let's talk about divorce, okay? Because Jewish people they came to G- they asked Jesus, "What do you think about divorce?" And he said, "What does the scripture say?" I mean, he, you know, he so Rabbi Shemmai, he would say this that divorce was allowed only for sexual sin. So if a spouse Committed adultery, you could divorce. That was his only, only rule. Everything else, no such thing. Didn't allow it. Hillel, on the other hand, said, if, and it's always wife, because wives didn't divorce husbands. Husbands divorced wives in that time. So Hillel would say, well, if she is unpure in your eyes, you may divorce her. Well, then people would say, what is impure? And he'd say, if you're walking and you see another woman who is prettier than her, she has become impure in your eyes and you may divorce her. If she puts too much salt on the food, she has become impure and you may divorce her. So who do you think people went to when there was an issue? Shammai or Hillel, you know, and that's, that's what was going on at the time of Jesus. That was the two famous rabbis that, that dealt with all that. Well, so now we've seen all these different people. Let's think, let's think about what the land, what it all looked like. Well, here, here, here it is. There is Galilee in the north, Samaria in the middle, and Ju- it's got Judea here, but it's really the Judea here. And probably the line would go about right there. There's no line, really. I don't know why this map doesn't show really the line, but it would probably go about right there. So here is the southern part of Israel called Jerusalem. Here's the middle part of Israel called Samaria. And here's the northern part of Israel called Galilee. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. In Galilee were the farmers and the fishermen. They were the working people. They were the country people. They were not the educated people. And so that's Galilee. In the middle part is Samaria, which is what? Half Jew, half Gentile. So the regular Jewish people didn't really get with them very much and didn't talk with them very much, and they only dealt with them if they had to. In the southern part, if you go way down here, that's bad. There's nothing down there. But in this part, you have the big city. You have Jerusalem. You have the priests. You have the temple. You have the educated people. You have everything. And so these people thought they were better than these people. And isn't it strange that when Jesus was born, he was born down here in Bethlehem. And then where did he go? He ends up coming here. And where does he do most of his ministry? It's all in Galilee. It's all in this part of the thing. And then he would come down to Jerusalem because a Jewish male had to come to Jerusalem three times a year. Had to. And he came a lot, but almost all of Jesus' ministry was up here. And then he'd pass through Samaria and that kind of thing. So when you looked at it, when you remember when they arrested Jesus, and then Peter was talking, and somebody said, "You're with him," and he said, "No, I'm not." And they said, "Yeah, we can tell by the way you talk." What they were saying is, "You're a country person. You talk, you don't talk educated. You don't speak educated. Education. You didn't get any education, you know, growing up." And so that's what the world was like. And then Herod the Great. So, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. And, and, and when Herod the Great divi- died, it was divided. And here I want you to see what it was like. There's Judea in the south. One of his sons, named Archelaus, got the south. And then there's the middle part, Samaria. There's the northern part called Galilee. There is the part called Decapolis, which means ten cities. This was mostly Greeks. You remember we said that the Greeks came down there during the time of, of uh, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies? Those ten cities were right there, and Jesus went there a lot. And then, if you notice right here, it's Tyre and Sidon. This is where the Syrophoenician woman was from and all of that stuff. And so, at the time of Jesus, you if you lived... If you lived in Jerusalem and you wanted to go up there, you most likely crossed over the Jordan River, went up this way, and then crossed back over. You wouldn't go through Sychar. If you remember Sychar, that's the where the woman at the well. That's where Jesus stopped and talked to the woman at the well. So Jesus went everywhere. He, he, he went right through the heart of Samaria. He didn't care. And, and uh, some people did, some people didn't. But as a whole, that's what it was like. And so this is it. So when you read the Bible and you talk about Jesus at the Sea of Galilee, or if you see, they're down at the Dead Sea down here. Or if they're in Jerusalem. And so that's the world. That's what the map like. That's what the world looked like. Now, we've got just a few minutes. So I want to I get this last part, and I want you to see it because it's so amazing. Now, let me get to the last page. Here is, here is the prophecies of the coming Messiah and the forerunner of the Messiah. Because in our next, pl- listen, see, we've we got the background now, and it's about time. And guess who's coming next week? Okay. <laughs> okay, so here's some prophecies. Look at this. Uh, this is Isaiah 40. Uh, I'm sorry, that should say Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 5, okay? Now, here's what I want you to notice. How many books are there in the Bible? How many? How many in the Old Testament? How many in the New Testament? 27. So this would be 1 through 39 and this would be 40 through what? Right? How many chapters in the book of Isaiah? Chapters 1 through this is supposed to be 39. 1 through 39. You know what 1 through 39 is? And see people say the Old Testament was law and wrath. And the New Testament is what? Grace and what? Truth. If you study Isaiah 1 through 39, those 39 chapters, judgment. Judgment's coming on Israel. When you get to chapter 40 and you go through chapter 66, there's the Messiah and salvation. Notice how chapter 40 starts... Chapters 1 through 39 have been giving judgment, 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 judgment. Chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her, her warfare has ended. What? Her warfare has ended? Her guilt has been removed. What? She has received the Lord's hand. And then notice the voice of one calling out. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Who is that? Who is that? That's John the Baptist. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill be made low. Let the uneven ground become a plain. Why? Because the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Who is that? That's the messenger and the Messiah. Am I right? That's the forerunner and the Messiah. Look at this. Look at this right here. Malachi 3.1. Behold, I'm sending my messenger. Who is the messenger? John the Baptist. And he will clear a way before me. And the Lord whom you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Who is that? Who is it? That's Jesus. Exactly. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of the armies. Malachi 3.1 says, here's the messenger and here's the Messiah they're coming aren't they next time you read Isaiah and you're in the first 39 chapters you're going to be going Man, I'll be glad when this gets over and then you get to chapter 40 and he says comfort my people Savior is coming look at the Messiah therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and she will name him what Emmanuel what does Emmanuel mean God is with us who is this virgin that will give birth to a son? That's Mary. That's a prophecy, Isaiah 7:14. Look at this one. A child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. The child was born, but the son was given. You understand the difference? The Son of God always existed. The child, the man was born. The Son was given because he's always existed. And guess what? The government Will rest upon his shoulders why he's the what he's the king of kings his name will be called what wonderful counselor mighty god eternal father prince of peace that's who he is and there will be no end to his government will there ever be an end to his government no on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it what's the promise to david he'll have a son that'll sit on his throne there he's coming right there to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. That's prophecies of the coming Messiah. Most people don't even want to read the Old Testament. You got people who are famous pastors in the United States who say we don't need the Old Testament. has no bearing for us. You can't understand the New Testament if you don't know the Old Testament. Got to have them both. You gotta have them both. There is a forerunner coming. There is a Messiah coming. And guess when they're coming? Next week. No, <laughs> that's when they're coming. Okay, now watch this. So let's see some key things. So here, number one, I think this is number one is the rise of Rome as a world power. This is what we're seeing the rise of Rome as a world power. Is Rome a world power today? They're pitiful, actually, aren't they? Right? But one day there will be a revised Roman Empire and the part of the world that the Roman Empire controlled will become that ten king federation and there will be one man come to power to that place. It's going to happen. It's called the revised Roman Empire. What about the Vatican? It's mean, not... What about... what ruling power, but I mean... Oh, you mean now? Now is really... well the the pope has a lot of, has a lot of influence over catholics that's right but he he doesn't have much world influence with nations or anything yeah the fullness of time rome in a time of peace has the roads the language and the law the fullness of time So we're seeing the rise of Rome. We're seeing the fullness of time. You don't have to, of course, write every word. You already know that we looked at peace, Rome, the roads, the language, the law, all of that. Okay, here's the third one. You ready? There are the various groups and sects that will interact with Christ. So when you read about a Pharisee, or a Sadducee, or an Essene, or a scribe, or a Herodian, or a Zealot, you'll, you'll have an idea of who these people are. So the next time that somebody comes to Jesus and challenges him, look at them. Are they a Pharisee, a scribe, or are they a Sadducee? And by by that, you can tell what kind of question they're going to ask him. Fourth, the land of Israel, north to south. And understand it. This is the key things. Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Where would you have wanted to live if you lived back then? Well, I thought I would, but if Jesus is up in the Galilee, I'd probably, probably live up there and... and, and uh, I wouldn't be a fisherman because I don't know how to fish and I wouldn't be a farmer because I don't know how to farm. I probably have to, I don't know what I'd do. Maybe I'd just hang around with Jesus. Yeah. Let those women that helped him feed, feed me too, you know. Okay? And then, the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the forerunner of the Messiah. These are the key things we've seen. The prophecies. Sometime, go look at Isaiah 7, 14 when he says, the Lord will give you a sign and look at the Scripture I don't want to talk about it tonight look at the scripture and see who is he talking to and what exactly is the sign it will surprise you if you've never studied it Isaiah seven fourteen, but you'll have to go a little bit before that because you got to get the flow okay now we got to quickly quickly look at our applications here we go let's understand the Roman world at the time of Jesus and you don't have to write down every word. Just let's understand the Roman world at the time of Jesus. Did everybody get most of everything written down? Okay, all right, good. Because, you know, when we watch, when we read the Scripture and read Jesus and read Him going through around and talking to people and the Romans and everything else, especially when you get to the trials and everything, you understand what's the Roman world like. Let's know the different groups and sects that interact with Jesus. Know who the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the rhodians. Remember, they come sometimes lawyers. Lawyers and scribes are sometimes called they're the same thing. So look at this and see what Jesus says about them. The third one is let's understand the division of the land of Israel as Jesus comes into the world. And, and understand there's Herod the Great, and then his sons, and then how the land was divided in the the north and the middle and the south, and and all those different things. And understand what's going on. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit. We'll understand why why did they cut John the Baptist's head off? Not just cause the girl danced real good, but why? And why was he in prison? What did he do wrong? You know. Let's know the prophecies concerning the the coming of the forerunner and the Messiah. Isaiah seven fourteen, Malachi three, one, Isaiah nine, six, those are three great prophecies right there. I would probably know those.